Welcome to episode 48, former number of Fred Warner until he came to his senses and switched to a much, much better number. And all that happened for him was he's about to be the highest paid linebacker in the NFL now. This is Niners Nation, the channel plan. My name is Kyle Posey. I am joined as always by Akash. Akash, we are a couple of Saturdays away from training camp, man. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, KP. Yeah, thankful that Fred Warner switched his number because that was the only reason that he went from a third round pick to the best linebacker in the game. Had nothing to do with any of the work that he puts in the offseason, of course, but excited. We're finally getting to the end of the offseason and getting to real football. So there's actually things to talk about and not just silly controversies on social media. No, you know what I'm talking about. Speaking of the offseason, there is nothing more offseason than debating what a certain player is wearing. Trey Lance, earlier this offseason, got ridiculed because he had an L.A. Dodgers hat on. Um, recently, he was wearing a performance, what, I mean sports bra. There's no way, <laughs> there's no way, there's no way to sugarcoat it's, it. Yeah, it's a sports bra, which <laughs> in my mind, whatever. Everybody does it, and we talked about this before the podcast. I watch England soccer. Harry Kane, uh, Raheem Sterling, Raz, as they call him. Uh, they've been doing this since, I believe, like 2015, 2016, because it tracks your heart rate. It tells you the maximum speed you're going. So when you're running sprints and you want to know how are you doing the fourth sprint, the sixth sprint, whatever it may be, like you can look back and see, you know, check your fatigue, check your conditioning, all that sort of thing, which is great for the athletes. However, if you have no idea about that, and you first see this, and you are not very comfortable under your own skin, you are going to get offended, which is what happened on 49ers Twitter, because that's what they do, man. Just overreact and just find ways to get upset about everything. Akash, please talk us off the ledge here. I saw this on Instagram earlier this weekend or whenever it went up, and I, just like you, didn't think twice about it. I saw it and I just kept scrolling, because to us, it's like, okay, uh, athlete, doing some tracking of his heart rate, his speed, just like you mentioned. It's exactly everything you'd want for in an athlete. And I didn't understand why people were so just, you know, uh, confused by his choice of attire. Didn't bother me one bit. Uh, I do think 49ers fans just aren't used to having an athlete at the quarterback position. So this is kind of new territory here. And, That's a good point. you know, and the other thing is Trey Lance looks good in just about anything he wears. So shocker, right? When you're built like he is at 6'4", 220, and you've got, you know, the sleeve of tattoos and stuff, who cares what he wears? Um, but as long as he continues to get his work in in the offseason, which is all that matters, and how he plays on the field, again, all that matters. So it's just, again, caught up offseason noise, nothing else going on this past week in 49ers land. So, of course, this turns into a controversy. So this kind of goes back to my theory where, I wish none of these athletes would post what they're doing during the offseason so we would have no idea because even on the other side of the spectrum, you know, fans get super hyped when they're seeing a professional athlete working out because that is their job. They do this multiple times a day. And in this case, because they're unfamiliar with what was going on, that's how we got here. And that's how we got to talking about, you know, just the whole mask, the, the hyper masculinity, the toxic masculinity that's going on. I mean, it's not just, you know, 49ers Twitter. It, it happens on the internet all yeah. the time. And oh, man, two Saturdays from now, we will be able to talk about actual football, Trey Lance actually throwing a pass and not Trey Lance and his appearance. So I, I feel like, you know, that's more than enough of that. And hopefully, 
we just don't have to talk about this at the end. But that's probably not going to be the case, knowing that uh, what we have to deal with just day to day. CBS Sports mentioned that the 49ers are one of the most overrated teams, which sure, clickbait, whatever you want to call it. I, I mean, if I were to pick one of the most overrated teams and I'm going in the FC West, it'd probably be the Cardinals because that they seem to be the darling with the moves that they've made, but I, I just don't see how they're going to be better than any of the other three teams. But let's keep it San Francisco here, and let's talk about what the worst-case scenario would be for the 49ers. Uh, many projections, so Vegas has their win total uh, 10.5, so, which is right around where we projected last year, and I imagine it's not going to be you know too different this year. What is the worst-case scenario for San Francisco this year? They have a repeat of 2020. I mean, we saw what worst-case disaster – look like last season whether it was the injuries to their quarterback to their star pass rusher to just a variety of guys on their roster that basically decimated their season and then combine that with the fact that they got kicked out of their home stadium they had to relocate so if you want you know worst case disaster scenario just look to last season and if exactly all those things happen then i would say that's the worst case and from like a record standpoint you know anything less than I would say like eight, nine wins. I would consider that a disaster. Assuming the team stays healthy and, and whatnot. Um, I, w- I would say that's a disaster just because given the talent on their team, given how they've assembled this roster, both through free agency and bringing back a lot of the key core pieces from the last few years and also how they've drafted, you would just expect that with the coaching staff, with a quarterback who should stay healthy, or if it's Trey Lance, and then with all the other pieces they have around them, they should at least hit the over on Vegas's over under at 10 and a half. Yeah, I agree. I would say, you know, we, we just talked about um, a couple episodes ago about pumping the brakes on Super Bowl or bust. I would say it would be a disappointing, you know, worst case scenario would be, you know, not making the playoffs, finishing 500 or less, you know, or worse. And that would just mean whatever they think they're doing, if they thought that they were on the right path, the team, of course, uh, it's time to just rethink and reshape everything that's going on. So that would cause a major shakeup, but that would be tough to do since they just traded, you know, a handful of everything. It seemed like a couple. Trey Lance. Yeah. So that would be a scenario. But how about this? If, the, if Jimmy gets hurt again, that would be worst case scenario because bringing him back, they were betting on that not happening. And that would be betting against history, which is a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. And the reason I say that, and we've talked about this time and time again, but not, you know, with bringing Jimmy back, you, you know, you, we know it's salary cap right now, 25 million, however, however much it is, um, you missed out on opportunities and for agency to sign, you know, a higher caliber pass rusher than Samson Ebicom, or perhaps interested in Julio Jones, and then on and on and on, bring in a Melvin Ingram, that sort of thing, where um, if he's not on the roster, you know, you can entertain those ideas or at least, you know, make a run for a veteran player like that. So I would say it, it's it's always going to be tied to Jimmy, no matter what we do, which is not fair, but that is a circumstance that he's in. So yeah, I would say, well, go ahead. I was going to say, or just take that one step further. Say Jimmy Garoppolo does get hurt and then Trey Lance maybe comes in and doesn't look as good as we expected, right? Just taking that one step further. And now that. all of a sudden, you're starting quarterback the past few years. He's hurt. His trade value completely dips. He's on the books for $26 million next season. And then the guy that you spent three first-round picks for maybe doesn't give you that much confidence either. And all of a sudden, right, the doubt starts to settle in and they start to creep in a little bit. 
Why did so you take Mac Jones? Why didn't you take yeah. Justin Fields? Why yeah. did you trade up to begin with yeah. for a guy whose eyes are too big for or too bright, too wide for the situation? And hundred percent. I mean, the, you can if Trey Lance isn't the guy who they think he is, which I feel like we are not talking about enough. Yes, you and I are both you know big on Trey Lance's talent. We we both assume that he's going to be good, right. but there has to be you know that little part of your brain. And I'm not saying the 49ers coaching staff is thinking negative about him because obviously they've seen him practice. They've seen him play. But if he's not the guy, uh, there's going to be some pitchforks out and they're going to come out soon. And deservedly so, too, because of what they gave up, what they moved up, considering the other two quarterbacks, speaking of Mac Jones, Justin Fields, how they fell to number 10, uh, number it was. Is that isn't that where Fields ended up going, right? I believe it was Fields uh, went 10 or uh, maybe twelve. Some, yeah, something like that. Yeah, Mac Jones went but, fifteen. I think yeah, Fields went in that ten to twelve range. So in this hypothetical scenario, you could have had either of those two stayed put and right. held on to your future first rounds. So yeah, um, cannot wait to see. But there there are a few different worst case scenarios for the 49ers. and as as always is the case. It's tied with injuries because that's what happens when you're talking about this team. Let's talk about with training camp coming up, who has the most to gain? Because there are some good battles, I think. And um, my answer to that question would be because, you know, we're all over the place here. I'm going to go linebacker. And I think it's Demetrius Flanagan Foles because if he is, if he takes the next step, because he played like 6% of the snaps on defense, or he has virtually no defensive experience, but he did play 43% of snaps on special teams last season. So he has that experience and he's an athlete. He's a safety convert. And that's the same case with Greenlaw. That's the same case with Fred Warner. So you would think from that sense, he would slide right in. And I mean, Aziz Al-Shahir, he hasn't really done much to say he's going to be our guy. And yes, you know, nickel and dime defense, that's what spends more time on the field than your actual base defense. But knowing that he is a safety convert, Flanagan Foles, if he happens to be an athlete, you have to be a guy who can cover uh, running backs, tight ends, whatever it is. If he's a, just a blitzer, I think he has a chance to prove that, you know, he can earn reps on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I think it's a guy like that or, you know, one of the rookie safeties, one of the younger DBs, any linebacker, any second level player, I think, has a chance to really um, make a name Stand for out. himself. Yeah. Come come training camp. How about you? Do you have one? I'm going to go the other side of the ball. I'm going to go with a guy that 49ers fans are just dying to see on the field. Jalen Hurd. Yeah. A couple yeah. years, we know the deal. Injuries, ACL, back. And the 49ers are desperate for additional help at the wide receiver position uh, beyond their two young stars. And can Jalen Hurd show up to training camp in shape, ready to go, looking fresh? Uh, maybe he's not the same level of athlete he was before those injuries, but can he provide some pop over the other guys on the roster, whether that's Mohamed Sanu or River Craycraft, Richie James, just give them some other area of versatility on offense that those guys don't provide. And I think if he flashes, just given the fact that they drafted him so high, I think Jalen Hurd would have that inside track to be the third wide receiver on this team. So I think he has a ton to gain. Uh, another guy I would say Aaron Banks, um, a rookie. And I, I also think he has uh, an inside track to a starting job if he comes out to training camp and looks good um, at that right guard spot. So on offense, I would say those two guys probably the most to gain uh, in this next month between training camp, preseason, uh, and all that stuff. What if I what if I flip the script on you and say most to lose outside of 
the obvious answer. <laughs> you took it away because there's there's one obvious answer. I think you and I both know it. Our producer Rob knows it. Uh, anyone who listens knows it. It'd be Jimmy Garoppolo. Outside of that, most to lose, um, I would say maybe one of the guys along the defensive line, uh, especially uh, on the interior, where there's just a lot of bodies, right? Whether it's Eric Armstead, Zach Kerr, Javon Kinlaw, uh, Mo Hurst. And I feel like that competition is like a true competition. And if someone maybe gets hurt in training camp, someone doesn't perform as well, may not have a roster spot on the 53. So I would say one of the guys along the interior defensive line, maybe not picking on someone specific. Yeah, no, that's a good one. And I think Aaron Banks has a chance to really submit himself just for being the starter, for being the guy. But we, we kind of expect that. I actually would say a guy like maybe Emmanuel Mosley um, because they did invest in, you know, two cornerbacks, sure. you know, Ambry, Ambry Thomas and Diamador Lenore. Um, I don't think the safeties are in jeopardy, but maybe if anything, um, speaking of, you know, that third linebacker, maybe it's a guy like Tony Jefferson who, if he proves himself, they will, you know, make the third linebacker absolute. So you could go a bunch of different ways, and there are some, some fun training camp battles that we have. And it'll be fun to see it play out. You know, the one-on-ones are going to be great. I don't, you know, Trent Williams versus Nick Bosa, that's going to be much. Video's going to go viral, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait to see uh, Trent Williams just throw Nick Bosa on his butt. <laughs> and uh, just people realize how – I still don't think people grasp how good of a player Trent Williams is. ESPN did their, you know, whole rankings, and he was the number right. one offensive tackle um, from all the NFL execs. And I don't think he is, but it's cool that he got – recognized for that because people don't forget like he didn't play in 2019 and it wasn't just because of minor injuries like he was out and he had to fight something very very serious so that was cool to see him recognized Um, speaking of QB ranking or rankings uh, quarterback was ranked uh, number 22 do we want to spend any time on that is that a surprise because at this point where else would Jimmy G be ranked yeah I hate talking about Jimmy Garoppolo and where he's ranked, partially because he's just not on the field as much, right? I, I feel like a lot of the argument just comes right back to that because uh, the people who vouch for his ranking to be higher will point to the one season that he played, and the people that vouch for his ranking to be lower will point to the other seasons that he wasn't on the field. So I say with the Jimmy Garoppolo stuff, let him play, and then we'll see what it looks like, and we'll, we'll find out if he gets that opportunity this season or if it's going to be Trey Lance that runs the show. How about this? So... On Niners Nation, we talked about who is Mr. Irreplaceable on offense. And again, any team in the NFL, it's going to be your quarterback, whether that's Jimmy G, whether that's Trey Lance, whoever's under center, it's going to be the 49ers quarterback. But if you go past that, they have a lot of weapons and they have a lot of important yeah. players. It could be Raheem Mostert. We saw what happened when he was out last year. They really couldn't run the ball. George Kittle missed half the season. Running game went down the two when that happened. And obviously when he came back, we saw just how dynamic of a player he is. Trent Williams, that's my answer. And you just heard me say, I think he's the best player on the team. So I think that would be a yep. reason why. But when you lose a player like Trent Williams, that's like a domino effect for everybody because now you no longer can just say, hey, go block their best player. We're not going to send any help your way. We're going to give attention to everybody else. Um, it could be Alex Mack. Uh, it could be Debo Samuel. It could be Brandon Ayuk. Who you got? The guy that you had, the guy that you call the best player on the team the highest paid offensive tackle in the NFL, Trent Williams, I think is the most irreplaceable player on this offense. And we saw that last season. I think he missed a game with COVID, I believe. And Justin Skule took the start. And I don't want to turn this into a bashing session about Skule, but he got worked that night uh, by the Packers defensive line. 
And that's the night you realize, yeah, Trent Williams, when he's out there, you just don't worry about the left side. And there's ripple effects, just like you mentioned, right? Now, if you have Skewell or someone else at left tackle, now all of a sudden George Kittle maybe has to stay in the block a little bit more. You might have to send help uh, when the other team lines up their best pass rusher over your backup left tackle. And just having Trent Williams out there just gives you gives Kyle Shanahan a little bit more freedom when it comes to his play calling, I think. And so I would say he's the most irreplaceable. Some of the other names that you mentioned, George Kittle, while I'd say he's either the second or the third best player on the team, I, he's missed time before, and they've been able to get offensive production uh, at that spot or just in general without him before, whether it's with a Ross Dwelly or whoever, right? And some of the other guys, whether it's Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel, they've generally been able to work around those guys. They get screwed when their quarterback misses time, but like what NFL team doesn't? And then I'd say when Trent Williams went down, his impact was really felt. Um, so that's on offense. On defense, who would you call Mr. Irreplaceable? Yeah, so the season ended in week two for obvious reasons, and that's because they lost the best player <laughs> on defense. But the 49ers defense, they weren't bad without Nick Bosa. They and in bad. fact, they were actually really good without Nick Bosa. So they didn't have – Yeah, they, they didn't have, you know, the crazy sack adjusted sack numbers. They weren't pressuring the quarterback at a ridiculous, you know, clip. But they were getting off the field, and they were limiting teams, and they were making teams work. So – it would be easy to say Nick Bosa, but I don't, I wouldn't argue, I guess I would say, I wouldn't argue anybody who came up with another answer. So if Fred Warner were to miss time, I don't know what would happen because he covers up a lot. He is unreal in coverage. He is very good against the run and he's a very good pass rusher. So he allows them to do a lot. They have certain checks where if an offense goes empty, Fred Warner just guards the number three receiver. And how many teams could say that we're just going to put our middle linebacker on the receiver and, you know, not have safety help or not think twice about it. So the answer might be, yeah, the answer might be Fred Warner just because of everything that he does for the team. Um, He hides some of the, they were playing with guys like Alex Barrett and Deion Jordan last year on the field (laughs) in front of Fred Warner. He was still making plays like at the line of scrimmage. So knowing everything that he's capable of doing. I might lean Fred Warner, but even then going back to 2019, like they missed their, when Jaquaski Tar was out, they were giving up big plays left and right. And that was like with a dominant defensive line. Sure. Like Sherman and K1 missed some time or missed a game here and there. But I think Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart are just very important to this defense as well. Um, I think that's why we saw the team go out and add 17 safeties in the offseason, essentially. So, you know, in, in the event that to keep <laughs> off the field, um, sorry, Marcel, <laughs> your brother's a very good player. But, uh, yeah, uh, wh- where would you go with that? Yeah, so before we hit record on the podcast when we were just talking about these topics, I was joking around that, yeah, number 97, the most irreplaceable guy on the team. And then as you were making your case, I was like, yeah, you're right. Because like when it comes down to the pass rush, you can schematically work around your best pass rusher being out. And the 49ers did a lot of that with Robert Sala last season, right? They sent more five-man pressures last year compared to 2019. And like you mentioned, they had guys like uh, Deion Jordan and Alex Barrett and Ziggy Ansah. And they worked through a litany of players last season. And they were still able to, you know, get a decent amount of pressure on the quarterback. Maybe not at 2019 level, but as a, a unit, they were still highly impactful. And then you started talking about Fred Warner, and I started thinking, 
man, if Fred Warner goes down, who who even on the team would step up in that position, right? That's what you're talking about, irreplaceable. You're really talking about, okay, that player wasn't there. Who steps up in, the, in his void? And if with Warner down, are you expecting Drake Greenlaw to take a, a giant leap forward? Uh, is it Demetrius Flanagan Foles? Is it Aziz Shire? I just don't think any any of those guys have the impact that Fred Warner does single-handedly on a game. And from that standpoint, I think he's the guy that I would call irreplaceable and probably Nick Bosa would be like a 1B. And then to your 2019 points, yeah. I mean, in 2019, you would probably call D Ford, Kwaski Tart, Juan Alexander, all those guys equally irre- irreplaceable because at the end of the season when they went out, their defense really kind of fell off the map. And it wasn't until when they got back in the playoffs that they kind of hit a groove again. So... Yeah, this season I think I would I would agree with you that it's Fred Warner. And that's more so because the rest of the linebackers on the team just don't hold a candle to what he brings. What are you looking forward to the most when we get to training camp? Because as I mentioned, coming up quick, a couple Saturdays, and next week we're gonna talk about training camp battles. And then the episode before we record on Saturday, we're hoping to have a special guest who's pretty familiar with the number three overall pick. But we're gonna talk about quarterback nonstop. But outside of that, what do you think is going to be just the most entertaining thing that kind of unfolds at training camp. A couple of things. So I'm looking forward to less of the nonsense on 49ers Twitter <laughs> in, in a jovial sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then in training camp, you always enjoy people roasting uh, DBs on like the one-on-one drills when wide receivers can like run by them. I remember like Marquise Goodwin a couple years ago, blew past Richard Sherman and people were freaking out. That went viral. Um, and then the one-on-one drills, like you mentioned, whether it's like Trent Williams going against Nick Bosa Mike McGlinchey going up against someone, you know, all those things <laughs> when you have one-on-one reps and someone absolutely eviscerates the other player, uh, that clip gets taken out of context, of course, and it just goes viral usually. So those, those are always the fun moments. When it actually comes to battles, really interested to see how the cornerbacks play out. Uh, we expect Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley to be the starting outside corners, but, you know, do Ambry Thomas and Diamador Lenoir kind of push uh, Emmanuel Mosley potentially out of a starting job because we've seen that in the past, right? Mosley and Witherspoon were kind of in a battle in 2019. It went back and forth. And it uh, wasn't really until later in the season that Mosley really kind of took grasp of uh, a starting cornerback job last season. So, yeah, that, I would say that's outside of the quarterback, obviously. I would say that's probably the one that I'm really interested to watch. I want to see how they deploy Samson Evercombe. And we're probably not going to find that out right away. That could be, you know, in a preseason game. Is he going to be the third linebacker? And then does he come down on pass rush, just to pass rush on, you know, passing downs? Uh, What is his role? What is his usage? Because they paid him to start. So we know he's going to be on the field. We don't know, you know, where that's going to be. Um, And then I want to see, you know, how quickly Trey Sermon makes a name for himself. How quickly he gets acclimated in the offense. Because we know Kyle Shannon's going to want to run the ball. Um, The 49ers, they invested – into two running backs, which kind of tells me they want to get more out of their running backs, whether that's running and catching the ball. So Sermon's a really, really good wide receiver out of the backfield. And I kind of want to see if, you know, we're going to see more, you know, passes to the running backs because that was a goal way back when with Jared McKinnon. And we never saw that. That, I thought that was going to be the plan with Tevin Coleman when he came over, but we never saw that either. And when we did see it, it was too late. Like he got hurt in that Jets game after they actually used him as a receiver. Right. So hopefully, you know, life will be so much easier for Jimmy G and Trey Lance if they have that option out of the backfield and they don't have to, you know, just keep, just rely on the receivers and throwing it outside the numbers, just difficult throws, which there, there aren't many of those in Shanahan's offense, but I just think, you know, more layups to, you know, the running backs will be, will be key for them. 
Yeah, and I don't know. I, I forgot where I read this. Maybe it was Raheem Mostert that, that was on like radio and said that Kyle Shanahan wants to give the running backs 500 touches, I think, this season between carries <laughs> and passes, which is an insane amount when you just say 500. Um, but clearly you see what Kyle Shanahan's mindset is on offense, and now he's added a, a dual-threat quarterback that can also uh, cause damage in the run game. You've added two running backs in the draft. So you, you clearly see what his vision is. And, you know, uh, when he was on the podcast with Sean McVay and Peter Schrager, you could tell how passionate he is about the run game when they brought up the Green Bay NFC title game. And he just loves running the ball down your throat when you can't, uh, when you're not able to stop them. He all but said that that was his favorite game just because it was yeah. enjoyable because, you know, as a coach, when you do something over and over and you know the other team can't stop it, you're going to do that same thing over and over. One of my favorite parts about watching the 2019 49ers offense was if a play worked, Kyle Shannon would have no problem of running the same thing just the other way. And I don't think people understand how many times he did that, but that's how dominant they were in the run game. And hopefully, you know, with Alex Mack now, with Aaron Banks, they're going to have these games probably early in the season against the Lions and the Eagles where they turn around, hand it off, five, five, six, seven, and just like are smack, like punching teams in the mouth. And that's when that play action opens up. So, yeah, it'll be fun to see the offense kind of evolve from that. But I, I imagine the offensive line is going to be have a big part of just how successful this offense is going to be. Absolutely. I mean, we're going to look up. It's going to be week one or week two. And Jimmy Garoppolo or if it's Trey Lance, it's going to be like 11 of 14 for like 150 yards or something like that with a couple touchdowns. And it's just like a clean game. They probably ran it for like over 100 yards and just had to game manage on the road. And that that would be fantastic. That's what you want, right? And that's what they did in 2019. Like good defense, ran the crap out of the ball. And quarterbacks generally just didn't try to get in the way of that. So that, that was a recipe for success. And hopefully they try to replicate that this season. And they've got new bodies along the offensive line, like you mentioned, and in the backfield to be able to execute that. Well, that'll do it for us. We covered just about everything that happened. It's, it's slow news week. And that doesn't happen often in 49ers land, so we're going to take advantage of that because as we get closer to the season, you know, we're going to have plenty to talk about. And thankfully, we will be on hand at training camp and we'll be able to provide you with updates at least through the first week of everything that went down. So stick with us. Please rate, subscribe, review, leave us five stars wherever it is that you get your podcast. Follow me on Twitter at KP underscore show for some randomness. Uh, Akash, how about yourself? You know where to find me on Twitter at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. Appreciate everyone listening. As Kyle Posey just mentioned, rate, subscribe, review to the Niners Nation Podcast Network wherever you listen. And go Niners.